Welcome to Season 2 of History, Politics, and Beer, the podcast that examines contemporary issues through the lens of history. Now, from the home office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to sit back with an ice-cold one and enjoy the pontifications of your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. All right, welcome back, boys and girls, to another edition of uh, we normally call this history, politics, and beer, but this time uh, Jeff Hudson brought us a little bit of a surprise. So we are Jeff History, Politics, and and American Honey, uh, a little whiskey liqueur produced by Wild Turkey. Yeah, it gets a little cold this time of year. This was one of our first crisp, clear autumn days. Beautiful day. And I enjoy a beer. I enjoy the brown ales this time of year, something a little heartier, but I certainly enjoy. I don't know if we can pick that's my That's my uh, turkey, uh, wild turkey, and my glass trying to get the ice cubes going there a little bit. Okay. It's good. You like it? It's a nice sip. It's not, yeah, it, it's good. Well, yeah, I mean, they do put honey in. This is a liqueur. It's not, you know, uh, straight whiskey. But I like the the flavors of it. Gives you a nice little warm feeling in yeah. your stomach this time of year, which you need. And makes me feel sophisticated. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a ringing endorsement for my sophistication there, Hud. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we did those four podcasts in Gettysburg, and I enjoyed those. But part of me was really itching to get back into more contemporary uh, issues. I mean, my head was exploding these last couple of weeks with what's going on in the news. Uh, date-wise, just so you know, we're sitting here one, what is it, day's date? November 11th, what? 4th. Uh, November 4th. So we are two days away from an election day, and things are kind of hitting the fan. So by the time you're listening to this, you probably are already going to know the results of the election. Um, but we want to talk a little bit about what's going on politically. Uh, and I guess I want to go back, Jeff, and ask you this, um, because we had a little talk before we started recording. It, if you could go back to that November where when Trump was elected in January when he when he took the office, is this is this where you thought we'd be in two years? Is this what you envisioned? No, I, you know, I wasn't. Uh, I didn't have what I thought was uh, an overreaction or a paranoid reaction that I saw online and some of my friends who are more democratic and where they were like, "Oh no, this is terrible. Everything's going to be." bad. I always thought of Trump as as a guy who was primarily non-ideological. It's kind of out for he's a narcissist. He promotes Trump and he's good at promoting Trump. That's why he won the election. Uh, and I didn't think he held any particular political view very closely or very dearly. I mean, he was Pro-choice for most of his life, a pro-choice Democrat. I think he gave money to Hillary Clinton's yeah, Senate campaign. Yeah. And, and I'm like, well, you know, this. I think even uh, Obama mentioned after meeting with him that the guy was non-ideological and therefore there was a chance that, that he could be uh, successful in his governance. Well, he hasn't, he, he, he hasn't proved to be a uniter. He's proved to be a terrible divider at this point. And some of the things that he's done lately have have bothered me greatly. And I think some of his rhetoric, which has always been over the top, but I always thought there was almost a tongue-in-cheek, like he says stuff just not to be politically right. correct. And some of that's not fine, you know, because I don't always like political correctness. But 
he's stoking fear. And that's what he's doing. I think he's doing it because we are on the eve of an election where the Republicans will probably lose the House of Representatives. That's going to lead to a lot of investigation and subpoenas. And I think that Trump is is trying to motivate his base to avoid that, uh, avoid defeat, which is terrible in his eyes. You know, to be a loser is a terrible thing to be. And his rhetoric is just over the top. It's it's it's, it's causing, and it's certainly contributing to uh, what has now become a violent atmosphere. So he's he's, he's worse than I thought he would be. I, I and I'll, I'm going to make a statement here. I want to know what if you think this is true or not. Um, from my perspective, uh, I I have never obviously every president that I remember has tried to unite us. They haven't been successful. Um, sometimes we, we we are really divided as a country. I think Obama is that way. I think Obama tried very hard to unite us. I think in the end we weren't united for whatever reason. This is the first president I can remember, I'm only 47, that actively tries to divide us, that constantly is ripping into the other side and doesn't even want the other side to become part of the movement. Does that ring true to you? Well, there, there's there's two things. Uh, you know, the one reason George W. Bush got elected and why in the midterms uh, his party actually gained a few seats was Karl Rove, his political advisor, uh, had a theory. Like, if you if you're kind of even, both parties are even. What you need to do is drive up your base participation, and so in places like Ohio and stuff in the, in the mid. Well, I think during the presidential election, he would get things like uh, same sex marriage yeah. put on there. And it was to get out the base, to get out the people who would vote for social conservatives and therefore probably vote for George W. Bush. But um, George W. Bush, when he got into office, certainly wasn't like that. I mean, he had one of the great more unifying events that happened to us was 9-11. And he showed up there at ground zero and he took out his megaphone and he kind of let people know that there was, you know, there was going to be hell to pay for what happened there in New York, New York City, not Republican territory, not red state territory. Uh, and I, I believe he got up almost to a 90 percent job yeah. approval rating. It, it was a, a kind of moment I think he understood that I don't think Donald Trump – remember Donald Trump has said about that very same time that he saw Muslims cheering – after 9-11. Remember he said that with, with, with no evidence. There's yeah. been no evidence of that. We call that a lie. Yeah. Well, <laughs> nobody's been able to produce yeah. an audio or a video of that. Uh, and so there you get – I think that's as dramatic as I can, I can put that. Like George W. Bush uniting the country right there on ground zero and then during his campaign, Donald Trump using that exact same event to stoke fear of Muslims, to say the, the Muslims in the United States are against us. You can't trust these people. They cheered in this national and tragedy. We need to, and we need to ban them. And we need to, we need to ban them. It, it's a very different way of approaching, uh, and, and it's certainly not a unifying way. No, I, I agree. I, it, it, and to go back to your other statement about I at the very beginning, uh, I, I did not vote for Trump. Um, but when he was elected, uh, I was – 
certainly not crying like you saw people on CNN and other places. But, and I was hopeful. I was hopeful that because he wasn't married to a political party that he might choose a middle road and that the pol- that the politics of the election would be in the past and then he could find common ground. Um, and obviously that hasn't happened. He has moved further and further to one direction, uh, has hijacked uh, an American political party and well – the rest is – I don't even – yet to be seen. I, it seems like every week we have a new low. I don't think it can get worse and it somehow always does. Which brings us to our first topic, uh, which is the 14th Amendment and birthright citizenship. And this ties perfectly in with what we were talking about two weeks ago um, at the post uh, – our fourth podcast in Gettysburg because this is the 14th Amendment. This is 1868, part of Reconstruction. Can you talk a little bit about, Jeff, what the 14th Amendment is and just the idea, what is birthright citizenship? Yeah, sure. The uh, The 14th Amendment was passed, as you mentioned, in 1868, and it was passed uh, by the political willpower of the radical republics in, in, in Congress. And they, for some reason, were scared that the South would not give the newly freed slaves all their <laughs> rights. I mean – uh, who would have thought that could have happened? But uh, and so they passed the Fourteenth Amendment, and it says this. And this is Section One. There's, I think, there's four sections, but Section One is the relevant part for our topic. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subjects to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. So. What this was designed to do was directly ad- address the Dred Scott decision, right. which had been made before the Civil War and, w- and in which the Supreme Court had said uh, slaves aren't citizens or freed, or potentially freed slaves still aren't citizens and have no standing to bring it. This, this is designed to rebuke that. No, su- no Supreme Court can say that anymore because it says in the Constitution, if you're born here, you're a citizen. And- the other part of it, it said that says that you have privileges that can't be taken away from you from by a state because you're an American citizen, and those are uh, due process. You know your your rights when you're arrested and when you're tried and when you're sentenced. All those due process rights, and also equal protection under the law. Just because you're born here, but it, to to get to that, it says all persons born here are citizens. So it was directed uh, to protect the rights of the freed slaves. Obviously, it did that for a while. And when Reconstruction ended, when Hayes ordered the troops out, then this wasn't enforced. The 14th Amendment was still on the books, but it wasn't enforced. Yeah, so we had the birthright, and we we did a podcast uh, before on immigration, and we talked about really the first immigration laws coming into effect in the 1920s. Really early on in most of our early history, there was no uh, limitations or rules or regulations on people coming to America. The more the merrier. Just get yourself here. We need bodies. We need to expand. We need bodies for farming. We need bodies for the cities to do labor. We did protect who became citizens, but getting here was just completely up to you and we allowed it. Well, the Constitution says in Article One, it gives Congress the power to to establish a uniform rule of naturalization. In other words, you know, Congress has that power. And then our first naturalization acts 
uh, the first one in 1790, said that an alien living in the U.S. for two years, here's what they had to do. Live here two years and pledge an oath to a constitution. And bang, you're a citizen. <laughs> so that reinforces your point. I mean, you got a nation you want populated. We weren't anti-immigrant. You're here two years. You say, I, I you know, uh, pledge allegiance to the constitution. You're a citizen. And here's the interesting thing. As soon as you did that, all your children under 21, they're citizens too. There's no special process for them. So they could have, you could have come here with five kids, you know? Oh, I didn't know that. Then your kids become citizens when you, when regardless of, even though they were born in another country. Born in another country because this is before birthright citizens, right. before the 14th okay. Amendment. So you become a citizen, bang, all your kids under 21. Then they did a second naturalization law five years later, and they had that same thing. If you were, if you were already here, if you had already immigrated, you had two years. And they said, well, people coming into the country, now you've got to be here five years. And if you're here five years and you don't get kicked out because you didn't do a heinous crime in the state you immigrated to or the territory you immigrated to, uh, and you could pledge an oath. And they did add one other thing. You had to renounce allegiances to any other country. Right. Okay. So, But basically, you know, you go, you know, you get a plot of land, you live here five years – these new immigrants coming in after 1795, and all basically all you got to do is give an oath and say, you know, you you're going to support the Constitution and you renounce allegiances. You're a citizen, and when you're a citizen, guess what? All your children under 21. If you're not, in other words, if they're not adults, they're citizens too. Now, the first time it really becomes a political issue is probably with John Adams um, with the Alien Act. I think 1800 or 1799, uh, he tries to raise the age of citizenship from five years of residency to 14 years. And that right. was simply an attack on Jefferson and Democratic Republicans trying to keep their voter rolls down. Well, the Alien and Sedition Acts, but I think they were successful. I mean, didn't yes. they, they get it passed to 14 years? You they had got to it passed and then Jefferson – then the Democratic Republicans later on change it back to five years. So and Jefferson didn't enforce it anyhow yeah. even before. Yeah. So, so uh, basically, the so then we move forward. We get ourselves to birthright citizenship. Uh, so uh, after the Civil War, let's put ourselves in the 20th century now. Um, is it time to get rid of it? You know, birthright citizenship, okay, 1868, obviously the slaves should be um, uh, citizens. And that, that's a no-brainer. And I understand the 20s and even before that, the late 19th century of getting people here. But we're in the 21st century. Should we be granting citizenship to people who come here illegally? You did something illegal to put yourself in on our soil, and now we're going to reward your children with citizenship. There's something not right about that. And is Trump right in what he's doing and in his thinking. What do you think about – I guess I'm asking you two questions. Yeah. And number one, what do you think about birthright citizenship today? Right. And second is, is Trump right in his methodology and how he can change it if he wants to? Well, you know, and that goes uh, to the question, the basic question is how is the Constitution uh, interpreted and how does it change right. over time? Uh, if you look at – the uh, there's a couple different ways even conservatives interpret the Constitution. One is called um, strict interpretation or textualism. In other words, look at the words. What do the words say? 
And if, if you look at the 14th Amendment, the words say, if you're born here, you're a citizen. Now, this is the decision, uh, this is the amendment that is the, the basis of, of probably uncontroversial decisions like Brown versus Topeka Board of Education because, you know, Linda Brown couldn't go to the school closest to her. She's obviously denied equal protection. But in that case, it's also obvious she is the descendant of freed slaves. Right. So there's no doubt that the 14th Amendment applies to her and her family, and it's a 9-0 decision that Kansas is doing the wrong thing. You know, one of the most important decisions in Supreme Court history, uh, you know, Brown versus Topeka Board of Education. But the 14th Amendment is also one of the basis, one of the basis for the more recent Obergefell versus Hodges, where they grant uh, – same-sex marriages as a constitutional right. It's protected by the 14th Amendment. Why? Well, if you're born in the U.S., whether you live in Alabama or whether you live in New Jersey, both places where attitudes are much, much different about same-sex marriage, but you're still a U.S. citizen. And as a U.S. citizen, guess what you get? Equal protection of the law. Equal protection. So that's one of the basis for saying, uh, for the 5-4 decision there, uh, that gay people— uh, same-sex people can legally get married and to, for a state to try to prevent them is unconstitutional. So, you know, you have that recent decision where they're applying the 14th Amendment to obviously people who aren't freed slaves. Right. So when you get to how it would be applied now, uh, you know, one of the cases that you would look at is the United States versus Wong Kim Ark in the late – uh, 19th century, where a person uh, who was— And this is a case I was not familiar with. No. And it's really—I mean, I don't think— any, I taught for years. You taught for—did you ever teach this case? I never taught. I didn't know who Wong Kim Ark was. <laughs> I knew what the Chinese Exclusion Act right. was, and I taught that, which was an effort. You know, we go through periods where we are concerned about keeping our culture um, uh, the way it is. And we exclude people who have different customs and also, to be honest, who look differently than we do. So you had the Chinese Exclusion Act. But they explained you're going to do a much better job explaining this case than I ever would. So give I us. I don't know about that, well, but. Give us some details on this case and, and how it's applicable, even though it took place decades ago, actually, two centuries ago, right, not two centuries. In yeah. the 19th century, though. Yeah. Give us a little background on that. Well, he, he left the United States. He was the uh, child of uh, – he was born in 1873 to Chinese parents who were legally in the United States. Uh, this was before the Chinese Exclusion Act. And so he was born here and, and uh, his parents were legally here and residents here. And then he went abroad and then he came back and they said, no, you can't come back. Chinese Exclusion Act. We – you're immigrating now. You're, 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 you know, you've been away, and this act prevents you from legally coming into the United States. And so he took his case to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, you know, that's wrong. You are a citizen because you're born here. You're born here, and they used the Fourteenth Amendment as as the basis in constitutional law for Wong Kim Ark. So he's here, and he gets to stay here. And so you have that in, in, in this specific case dealing with an immigrant. Now, 
what you can say is we know that the, the, his parents were legal immigrants. Right. They were here earlier. So what about an illegal immigrant? What about somebody who crosses the border illegally, comes in somehow illegally and has a kid? And that's where Trump might have a point. Now, of course, this would have to be interpreted by the Supreme Court. But the Supreme, his current Supreme Court, the Supreme Court, might interpret it this way because, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the chief justice of the Supreme Court uh, did not vote for Obergefell versus Roberts. He, mm-hmm. he, he said that maybe same-sex marriages do have the right to exist, but it's not the Constitution that shows that. So he, he was a dissenter. And now that you've replaced Kennedy with Kavanaugh, uh, you, you might get uh, for an illegal immigrant, for a legal immigrant and their son or daughter being born here. I think it's going to be a harder reach constitutionally. I don't know if the Supreme – I think the Supreme Court might uphold birthright citizenship. As far as you know, has there – since 1878, has there ever been a, an, a, a, an example of someone being born in the United States where they were not granted U.S. citizenship. Now, besides diplomats, that's specifically excluded. Right, right. Has anyone ever been born in the U.S. that hasn't been granted U.S. citizenship? I didn't find anything. Did you find anything? I haven't found any. Zero. And this is what what bothers me. I'm going to tell you personally how I feel about birthright citizenship, uh, and then I'm going to tell you what bothers me. Um, I am not... I think that there, it may be time to get rid of birthright citizenship. I think it might be time for us to say that just because you're here does not mean that you're a citizen. If your parents did something illegal, they get here. The idea that you're a citizen, I, I, I can understand that and I could probably even support that. But the idea that the president, through an executive order, no, all yeah. by himself, can change 150 years of interpretation of the Constitution, to me, is just unthinkable that he could do that. I mean, am I wrong in that? We don't know if he could. I mean, first of all, I don't think executive order is going to be the way to do this. I don't I don't think that will stand. I think Congress could pass legislation. Um, one of the principles of conservatives on the Supreme Court is they like to have legislatures make the decisions rather than the courts. They don't want to get involved. Um, That's not the same thing as letting some individual decide this important question. So I don't think an executive order will stand, I think. But I don't even think for him, for Trump, when does Trump really care about the Constitution? I mean, when did this come up? You're coming up on the eve of an election which uh, the Republicans are probably going to lose control of the House of Representatives. And that means they're, that the, the, every committee in the House of Representatives will have a Democratic chairman and a Democratic majority. Uh, they have the right to, to oversee the executive investigate, branch. Investigate, investigate, investigate. They have the right to investigate. Subpoena power. Uh, subpoena power. I mean, the most investigated ev- event in American history by Congress. And if you think of all the different events that could have been investigated, I mean, Pearl Harbor, which was investigated, 9-11, the worst terrorist attack in, in our history, which was investigated. But the most investigated act in congressional history is Benghazi. 
and, and, and not that oh. there were six, uh, well, actually there were eight, uh, six different uh, investigations chaired by Republican chairman of, of Benghazi. And, and, you know, and obviously there was a political aspect of this. I, I don't want to minimize four people being killed, including an American ambassador, but that compared to Pearl Harbor or 9-11 or you know, event after event in American history, it's, it's, it's not that important. So, but the power the House represent, your uh, yeah, point that's is, right. It has a lot of power. It has a lot of power, and and they have subpoena power. And here's the big difference: uh, if you look at Mueller, who's investigating the the Russian aspect, uh, you know, of the election and how much collusion there was. And now if there's obstruction of justice, one thing about Mueller is I think he's been extremely professional. You don't hear many leaks. You don't know what's up. No, there's been zero leaks. Yeah. yeah it, it, basically, somebody pleads guilty, you know, yeah. and then, and you know, there's there's a, a little bit of a trial or whatever like there was for Manafort. And, I, and you know, in, in that case, uh, there was a trial. A jury found him guilty of like half the charges before. It's just like I plead, like with Flynn, I plead guilty. But there hasn't. But the thing about, of course, Congress is these things can be done in public, and I think it's be disastrous for Trump to tell you the truth. And I think he knows that. And I don't. I think that's part of the reason that he is using these tactics and saying these things at this time. Okay, is that you know immigration was his issue. So I don't want to say that's the only thing. But why at this particular time are you hearing more and more? Why at this particular time is Fox News? I think uh, uh, one source said that Lou Dobbs on the Fox News uh, Business News Network or whatever it is, I think uh, him and another person there mentioned that they were invade. They they referred to the caravan as invaders. Something like seventy five identifiable times. So why what's driving this at this particular time? And I think it's fear of losing the House of Representatives. Well, I think that's a good place to pause. We're going to take a, a moment here to collect our thoughts. And when we come back, guys, we're going to hit topic two, uh, which we're going to combine kind of two into one. And this is the caravan uh, invading us from the, uh, Central America and sending troops to the border. Boys and girls, we just talked about birthright citizenship, and let's jump right back into the caravan of immigrants, and we're sending troops to the border. Hudson, I was barely able to sleep last night. I think I peed myself a little bit yesterday just thinking about this caravan of ISIS and Middle Eastern terrorists. Some of them have leprosy. Yes, leprosy. I mean, (laughs) the leper terrorists. Most of us don't fear leprosy at this point in our lives. Fox News says some of them are lepers. You've crossed a new line when you're a leper terrorist. So tell me what's going on here. Should Should I be as scared as what I am over this caravan of a couple thousand people that's still over 700 miles away from our border? Well, yeah, and, and and this is where I'm. I, you know, feel that Trump is has done a really dis a, a great disservice to the United States. Now, uh, one of the things that sep well, 
One of the things that initially separated Trump from, remember there are 16 different candidates in the Republican field and they're all up there debating, if you call that a debate. And Trump separated himself successfully. Again, I think he's a a great self-promoter. But there were basically two things. One of the things is he was willing to repeat over and over again that Barack Obama may not be a citizen. And if you remember that, you know, he may not be a citizen. I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. Yeah. He always he always did that sort of thing. He always like, well, I don't know for sure, but I got people working yeah, on and, it. And, and yeah, right. And the he implication was he's not. He's not one of us. He is the other. In fact, some people think Trump's decision to run was started when Trump attended a the uh, White House correspondence dinner. Right. Where Obama really raked him over the coals for Trump repeating over and over again that Obama might not be from the United States. If you remember that, he uh, Obama said he obtained video of his birth. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a scene from The Lion King when they're lifting Simba up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but, but anyhow, I mean, this appealed to a lot of his voters. And it's the idea that Obama, and there's two things with Obama, of course. His last name isn't, you know, it's not Clinton, it's not Bush, it's not Lincoln, it's, it's not middle name's Hussein. Yeah, it's not white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, and obviously he's a mixed race president. A lot of people call him first black. Of course, his mom's from Kansas or whatever. Yeah. So, but there was there was that, and the other thing that used to get the most applause during his rallies was, "I'm going to build a great, big, beautiful wall. I'm going to keep." out, you know, Mexicans, and they're not sending us their best. There are some good people there, I'm sure, but most of them are rapists and murderers and drug dealers. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, I as, as one who thinks the immigration laws, as they are, need to be enforced, uh, I'm okay with somebody saying that, but this, in both those cases, and with Obama, and I'm not even going to go into all the evidence that he was born, including his birth certificate. You know, he was born in the United States. He was born in Hawaii, and if you think that's part of the United States, he's 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 born. If you here. believe that he wasn't born in the United States, I'm going to give you a personal invitation not to listen to our podcast <laughs> yeah, because really, there's we, there's no we we deal with kind of facts here. Yeah, you, you you don't you get you get to choose your own opinion. You don't get to choose your own facts. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I think this fear of the other, he knows sells. He knows that's what his base craves. And so I think the caravan is an extension of the fear of the other, the idea that we need a wall. These people are coming. And, you know, it's interesting how propaganda works. Uh, You know, uh, Goebbels said the secret to propaganda was simplifying and repetition. Simplify something and repeat it over and over and over again. Uh, Girls being the Nazi propaganda minister. And this is is simplified. And in fact, they've simplified it so much. And we're not calling illegal uh, aliens illegal aliens. We're calling them invaders. Fox News refers to this over and over again as an invasion. And the people in the caravan are invaders. So it's very simple. We've got invaders, Invaders are not good people. No, they're bad people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they have leprosy. Yeah, you don't want to be invaded. No, you know if they're if they're poor people from Honduras seeking a better life, you can have some sympathy for that. 
But you're not going to have sympathy for an invader. And they might not be from Honduras, and they might not even be Central America. Some of them might be, according, they might be Middle Eastern. Because, of course, the easiest way to get into this country would be to fly from the Middle East to Honduras. And walk 2,000 miles. And get through Mexico. So That's how all the 9-11 hijackers got here, by the way. Yeah. They They walked 2,000 miles from Honduras. Instead of just living here. Yeah, instead of getting a travel visa and never going home. Okay. But it's it's to me, I mean, and this is this is a part, you know, where I'm thinking Donald Trump is really ridiculous and where he's scary. He's getting people scared, you know, it's just fear. And of course then then he's the guy who can relieve your fear. He can send the military down there. And if they throw rocks at us, he can order them to shoot people. Although uh you know, I, I, I don't know how many officers are going to be willing to give an order to shoot if a 12-year-old throws a pebble at him? I don't think there's going to be many. But I don't think Trump even thinks that far. It's just I'm the one that can protect. He knows that he's selling something and he's selling fear and the protection from fear. I'm the guy can I can I'm the guy that can stop it. The the horrible thing about this is it's it's led to violence in the United States. Uh, so you see a direct connection between the hyperbole coming out of Trump and what happened in Pittsburgh and what happened in Charlottesville and what happens in other the you see the the mailing of bombs to prominent Democrats. You see a connection between those? Well, I certainly see one uh, between the bombs and also the shooting in Pittsburgh. Uh, the guy that attacked the synagogue, uh, the Tree of Life synagogue, Robert Bowers, and killed 11 uh, people as they were at worship. Um, he called the people in migrant caravans invaders. Uh, he said that in his post. And uh, he, he, he mentioned in this website called Gab, I guess, he left some of his posts. This is a direct quote. I have noticed a change in people saying illegals that now say invaders. And this is according to one post six days before the shooting. He said, I like this. I like this. I like this shift in the terminology. And uh, his most recent post on Gab was five minutes uh, before police were alerted to the shooting. And he said, I can't sit by and watch my people get slaughtered. Screw your optics. I'm going in. So he was mad at this particular synagogue. I think there's a uh, a Hebrew uh, immigrant aid society that they supported. This is the reason he said that this put that tree of life on uh, on, on his radar that they're going to celebrate Shabbat there, you know, and, and, and uh, that's when he went in and killed these people. So I see a very – Trump's not responsible for these people getting killed. I'm not – I the person who's responsible is the person who pulled, went in and pulled the trigger. Is he responsible for the climate that got these people killed? Absolutely. Absolutely a direct line. And Fox News is responsible too. Don't call these people invaders. Don't say they have love. You know, actually, I think recently Trump was asked what kind of proof he had. He was asked what kind of proof he had. Were these people from the Middle East or, you know, diseases? And he said, I don't have any proof. 
And he knows that he doesn't even have to have proof for some of these people to believe this stuff. It's sad. And it's, 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 it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And I tell you what, if, if anybody knows the Constitution, the First Amendment, we have freedom of religion in this country. And the idea that those people were attacked, uh, you know, partly by, by an anti-Semite who was anti-Jewish is terrible. But it's also terrible that they were attacked. You know, the, the Jews are, have been outcast in many places all over the world. It's almost, the Jew is almost a shorthand for outsider in a lot right. of places. And of course they help, who do they help? Other people that are outsiders. Right, so that's a good point that a lot of people don't know that Jewish people, the Jewish faith uh, has a lot of pro-immigration stances and helps immigrants because they themselves have constantly been immigrants. Um, yes. It's been said that every Jewish, Jewish holiday can be summed up like this. They wanted to kill us. They failed. We survived. Let's eat. You know, that, that really that, Which is a very life-affirming right, way that, to look at it. That their, that their celebrations are really about survival, uh, not just the holocausts of the 1940s. But if you really study Jewish history, you can see the pogroms uh, that were happening in Russia and Poland. Um, and it, this goes back a long, long way. And we could actually do a whole podcast. Uh, podcast just just on anti-Semitism itself and the history of anti-Semitism. I want to ask you this question, Jeff. Um, what responsibility as a political party, a political movement have in tamping down its own extremists? Every political party has extremists within its midst. What responsibility does that group have to tamping that down and making sure they don't act out? Well, you know, are you an American first or are you a partisan first? That's a question everybody has to ask themselves. Uh, there's a great uh, editorial, uh, an, an opinion piece. I think it's in the Washington Post by Sully Sullenberger, who talks about voting, being a registered Republican and voting Republican most of his life. But he talks about he's always an American first and he's going to vote as an American. And I've always felt that way. I'm a registered independent. I've always felt that if you are a slave to your party and a slave to an ideology, sooner or later you'll get hooked into defending something that's indefensible. Correct. And I think the Republicans have been there for a while. Uh, one of the things that, that I think is just absolutely reprehensible is Trump was asked specifically about a guy named George Soros, who is a Hungarian Jew. He's a Holocaust survivor. And there has been uh, a lot on right-wing uh, uh, social media and, and on the web that George Soros could be behind the caravan. He might be paying people. And they've shown pictures of people getting paid money. And that money is supposed to be from George Soros. I don't know why this rich Hungarian Jew, he's a billionaire, would be giving money for people <laughs> to immigrate. I mean, it's it, it's crazy on the face of it. But when Trump was asked about that, he goes, "Yeah, that's what some people say. That's what that you know." So he he he's basically saying, "Yeah, you could believe that if you wanted to." And I went on, and George, I went on some right wing media, and he's blamed for everything. I mean, this guy is yes, he is he is the devil incarnate. And, and but they always mention that he's a Jew, and that he's Hungarian. In other words. We're back to he is the other. But I think people are aware that, you know, well, he's a Holocaust survivor. What can we say about him? That well, they, they blame him for 
uh, ratting other Jews out. Ratting other Jews out. And either I don't know if they can add or they don't know the history of the Holocaust. I mean, my my father, uh, you know, fought in World War II. He was born in 1920. So he'd be 98 now. And he, he hasn't lived this long. But uh, George Soros is 88. So when the Holocaust ended, he would have been 14 years old. There you go. He's the guy that's ratting out other people. And at the beginning of it, he would have still been elementary school. Right. So that's, you know, I mean, can you add? Can, do you know when these things happen? To blame him for ratting out. It's, you know, the idea, though, here is that he's Jewish and he's he's the other. And he might be behind some of this bad stuff with other people who are other, like the Hondurans or whoever's in this caravan. And that's as simple as it is. It's it's a terrible, terrible thing. And and it, it makes me very worried for the United States. I mean, I you know, I'm a I'm a white male. My both of my uh, I've researched my family's history all the way back to way before the revolution. Uh, I got one side of the family was here in the 1600s, another in the early 1700s. Uh, as far as the United, I was he- my family was here before the United States, way before the United States was the was the United States. And you know what? If you know about our documents, I'm not any more American than somebody that comes in here and gets, you know, wants to be come here legally and go through the naturalization process. We're all the same. That's the way it is. And and what Trump is appealing to is a nativism that doesn't allow that. And I don't like it. Do you like that? No, I don't. I, mean, I, I, I think Shockey's been around here for a while, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, I can trace the Shockey name back to uh, pre-Revolutionary War. Yeah. Um, and I can trace the first Shockey, I think, is early 1700s. You know, this idea of being an American and what it means to be an American, I I really like that uh, editorial by Sullenberger about being an American first. I have never been proud to be an American, the idea that I'm born in America. The fact that I'm born here, I I had no control over that. What I've always been proud of is what being an American stood for, that we helped other people, that we went – that our country has a history of sacrifice, helping those people who could not help themselves against tyranny. That's what I'm proud of. I'm not proud of just being born here because I couldn't control that. But I do feel a tremendous pride in what we have done with our power, with our responsibility. That – it kind of sometimes in really sort of a hokey, corny way kind of gives me chills to oh, think yeah. to think about us in World War II and us helping. And I I I I just say I mourn for our country right now, but I am I am in a very sort of bad place when I think about where my nation is and helping other people and that legacy of being the open arms, being the sanctuary, being the city upon a hill. Um, that and, th- and you're not a citizen because you're white and European. You're now you're a citizen if you come here, uh, you know, and you decide to go through the naturalization process. And I used to give that naturalization test to my students who were born here, and they most of them couldn't pass it, but immigrants have to pass it if they want to be a citizen. And you say, you know, I believe what's in the Declaration. I support the Constitution. That's what makes you a citizen. Male, female, you know, black, white, Hispanic. Uh, that's what makes you – and the, basically what Trump is – he's made the Republican Party 
which and that's a whole nother podcast. And I I can talk to you about things I respect about the Republican Party and respect about conservatism. But he's made it a white nationalist party. That's what it is. And you can see this is the closing argument about how, you know, uh, uh, fewer regulation is the closing argument here that Trump and the Republicans doing uh, about states' rights. And what the state should or do. Or fewer regulations for big business or it's lower tax rates. Or it's fear of the other over and over and over again. And right now they're running all sorts of uh, – spending all sorts of money on uh, crime. You're going you're gonna to be ridden with crime if the Democrats take over. It's fear of the other. And, and that has no – you know, first of all, I just don't like to act. There were, you know, this, you know, Trump gets really mad at these athletes for kneeling during the the national anthem. But it does say in the national anthem, if I remember, that we're we're the home of the brave. Well, Trump doesn't want us to be the home of the brave at all. He wants us to be the home of the bedwetters. So, <laughs> so he can be the brave guy, uh, and which I don't know of any kind of physical bravery he ever showed in his life. But he can be the brave guy to protect us. I don't need Trump to protect me from a caravan of women and children coming from the border. I just don't. Maybe you know. No, I, I agree with you, Jeff. And I'm going to leave it at this. I I've studied history my whole life, and. Uh, what has brought me back again and again and again is reading the stories. And you mentioned some of those stories from the Civil War. Uh, my grandfather, who fought, uh, was a bomber pilot in World War II, and the sacrifices that they made. Um, that is what has always impressed me to be an American and that we were this city upon a hill. And I think we're losing that. And that saddens me. Um, and I hate to leave everyone on that sad note of this podcast, but I think we're going to leave it there. Um, this was uh, a great discussion on birthright citizenship and immigration and um, and some other ideas that I we would love to hear from you guys. If you have comments on the show, anything we can do to improve ourselves, or you just want to shoot us a line, we'd appreciate it. It's history, politics, and beer at gmail.com. Uh, let us know what you think, and until next time, bye bye.